Well, again, Merry Christmas. About 10 years ago, and it was right around Christmas time, uh, my dad decided to, to give me a gift. And um, it, it was a, a different kind of gift. And uh, for those of you who are this time of year, uh, you know, remembering loved ones who are no longer here. My dad passed away about a year ago, and I remember him very fondly, very fondly. And he gave me a gift. It was a strange gift. It's going to look cool, but it's not that cool. Um, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a sports car. Looks great, right? It's a Fiat, okay? So, and it's a Fiat X19. So uh, a Fiat X19s are one of the most bizarre little vehicles on planet Earth. They look really sweet, right? They look like a Porsche. <laughs> they're nothing like a Porsche. Um, they're known for incredible electrical problems. They'll just be driving and they'll just stop. Uh, they're made for someone about three foot six. <laughs> Extremely uncomfortable. I brought it to my mechanic and he just looked at me and said, how do you possibly fit in there? Which might have been something about me, he was saying. But uh, it, it's a tiny car, no power steering. The turning rate, my Suburban has a better turning radius than this car. And top speed, I'm talking downhill with the wind, is 74 miles an hour. Which is hazardous when you're driving in the city when everybody's driving 74 miles an hour. No suspension. Bounces all over the place. Other than that, it was a great gift. He had had the car for about 10 years. He was getting older and not driving it anymore. It was a stick. And so I took the car, and I kept the car for quite a while. We drove it, especially after we got the motorcycle. <laughs> we drove it like some years I put, th- I, I, every year I would zero the mileage. One year I put 300 miles on it. Three, that was it. So I finally thought, you know what, I'm just going to sell this thing. I'm going to sell this Fiat. So I thought, well, just... I don't know what to ask for it. So I tried to do some research on what do you sell a Fiat X19 for? Here's the deal. There are not many of them left. They're all rusted out completely. I only put 300 miles on a year. It was fine. Well, this is vintage. I thought this thing might be worth something. So I did a whole bunch of research trying to figure out what is this car worth? It's worth nothing except for those very small band of people who actually like this particular weird car. There are two websites on the entire planet about clubs for this car, and one of them's in Italy. (laughs) I actually thought about shipping it there, thinking this would be great, because you can't get this car anymore. There's probably about 500 people on the planet that want the car. But other than that, no one. So I thought, I don't know, what am I, what's it, I have, how do you figure out what a car is worth? The blue book value on it was, you know, negative. They have to pay you money. <laughs> but this, for someone, it must have been worth something. So I decided to post it on Craigslist and put it at a higher price since I'd sat on the car for so long. I thought, someone's got to want this car. Someone has to want it. Surely there's someone out there who has fond memories of this car. And sure enough, Somebody from North Dakota. No offense, North Dakota, but somebody (laughs) from North Dakota remembered in high school. They were my age, and they remembered this 1981 Fiat they had, and they just had to have it. 
and the person was bigger than me. I thought, you're never even going to fit in that car. But they did, and they said, I want that car, and they paid the price that I was asking for the car. Begs a question, what am I worth? What am I worth? How, how do I find my value? There's no blue book value on me or us. What am I worth? The, uh, the, the Stuart Smalley's of the world will, will say to, to, to look into the mirror. You, those of you who are old enough to know what I'm talking about. There we go. And we'll say to look in the mirror and try to see something bigger than you are. And darn it, gosh darn it, people like me, right? You read your Bible and the Bible teaches us, and it's rightfully so, it's a true thing, that the, that the Bible teaches that humanity has actually fallen. We, we have sinned, that, that as we just read a little bit, that we believe the beautiful lie. And therefore, we now have sin. We are sinners. But, but does that mean that we are worthless? Is that what it's getting after? Is, is that what Scripture teaches, even though we're sinful people? And, and, and does it ultimately mean that, that we're just simply not good enough? We don't measure up and we're not really worth anything. What does God think of us sinners? About a month and a half ago, I finally bought a new Bible. It's a big, heavy, thick Bible. And so if you make, I rebuke people with it, just whap, it's a big. But uh, I, got one that I, could, I got one that I could write all my thoughts on the sides here. And I've been, I've been reading through, uh, and I've been really enjoying this new Bible. I went back from, I was, I was trying to do the millennial thing and just be electronic for a few years. But I just, I went back to paper and pencil. And it's been really enjoyable for me to do that. And I was reading in, in uh, I was reading, I'm just, my simple devotional plan is to read a psalm, read somewhere in the Gospels, and then read somewhere else. And I've been all over the place in that part of it. But I've, and I've been reading slowly, one psalm and then a little bit of a Gospel. And a little bit, about a couple of weeks ago, I was, in, I was in Matthew, and I came across Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. What, is, what does it say about, I suppose to say, what are, are we? What am we worth? Uh, I changed it from I to we, so sorry about that. Uh, when you get to uh, chapter 6, uh, it's very interesting what he says here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 says, Therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, or, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's interesting. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow it's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. And, and then as I read that, I thought, that's just fascinating. It is saying here that uh, I, sh- I should not worry. Do not worry, it says. Why? Why don't worry? Because you're valuable. That's what the Bible teaches. Are you not worth more than they? The birds. Even Solomon in his, in his splendor was not clothed like the flowers of the field. And are you not worth more than that? Well, how valuable am I? How valuable are you? Now, even though we're sinners, something about being made in the image of God creates in us, and it's not lost, even though we live in a sinful world, is that we still have dignity and we have duty. We have a res- responsibility to, to reflect God's image to the world. And we fail at that, and we're still, so we're sinful. But there's still something about that we're, we're dignified. Every human being is dignified because of that. Well, what's the value? What's the blue book? The blue book, the value is what someone's willing to pay. Right? That's the value. What's the value? Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the set time had come, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, listen now, to redeem. What does that mean? To buy back those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And that means we get all, we're an heir to everything of God's. What? Your blue book value, what you're worth, is what someone's willing to pay for you. What did God pay to buy you back? His son. His son. Tim Keller has written a book. Uh, I, I, we, we gave it to our bunch of our kids for Christmas, Hidden Christmas, it's called. And in it, he, he writes this. I, I have about four slides here for this, so just uh, hang on there. He says, Christmas is about receiving presents. But consider how challenging it is to receive certain kinds of gifts. Some gifts, by their very nature, make you swallow your pride. Imagine opening a present on Christmas morning from a friend, and it's a dieting book. Then you take off another ribbon and wrapper and find it's another brook from another friend. Overcoming selfishness. If you say to them, thank you so much, you are in a sense admitting, for indeed, I am fat and obnoxious. In other words, some gifts are hard to receive because to do so is to admit you have flaws and weaknesses and you need help. Perhaps on some occasion you had a friend who figured out you were in financial trouble and came to you and offered a large sum of money to get you out of your predicament. If that has ever happened to you, you probably found that to receive that gift meant swallowing your pride. There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost so unable to save ourselves 
that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you are not somebody who can pull out yourselves together and live a moral and good life. To accept the true Christmas gift, you have to admit you're a sinner. You need to be saved by grace. You need to give up control of your life. That is descending lower than any of us really wants to go. Yet Jesus' greatness is seen in how far down he came to love us. Your spiritual regeneration and eventual greatness will be achieved by going down the same path. He descended into greatness, and the Bible says it's only through repentance that you can come into his light. C.S. Lewis puts it perfectly. In the incarnation, he says, we catch sight of a new key principle, the power of the higher, just insofar as it is truly higher to come down the power of the greater to include the less. Everywhere the great enters the little. Its power to do so is almost the test of its greatness. In the Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. One may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing, that he went down to recover. So what are we worth? You're worth a lot. It's not due to our worthiness, though, but it's due to what Jesus Christ was willing to pay for you. I remember uh, one time here at Hope, we were, we were uh, singing the song, uh, Chris Tomlin, I think, wrote it, uh, the song, Oh, How He Loves. And I was just stuck by, and we were singing it for the first time, so I think we're singing it as an offering song first, then we're going to sing it again later. We're singing it during the offering, and I'm getting ready to preach, and, I, and I'm sitting right there in the other building, and, and, and I just, we're singing this song about, oh, how he loves, and it's just a beautiful song, and I just said to God, I said, God, how can you love me? I'm so unlovable. And this doesn't happen often, but I just felt like the Lord was saying to me, you will never say that again. You are lovable because I love you. You're not worthy of it necessarily, but I've chosen to pay for you and I've chosen to love you so you are infinitely loved. And I just had one of those moments where I just started weeping. I've got to get up and preach in like 30 seconds. And I'm just weeping, having this moment with God. That's what you're worth. That's your blue book value. We're in a second of a two-week series on O Holy Night. And my task this morning was to deal with this, the, the, the sentence in there that says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Let's pray together. Happy birthday, Lord Jesus. In all the commotion and everything else that happens, sometimes we just forget that it's simply a big birthday party for you. 
And more than anything, you came here not just to be born, but your birth, your death on a cross, and the empty tomb scream the Father's glory and scream to us the soul's worth, what we're worth. So God, if there are people here that are trying to prop themselves up by a bunch of other activities or things that they're trying to achieve to make them feel good about themselves, let them leave knowing this. All of that pales in comparison that the God of the universe says, you're worthy of my son. And I pray, Lord God, that we would take this gift just like we have to take every gift that may be hard for us. We would take this gift and receive you. So, Lord God, do that in this room. Even as we close now our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.